Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars, Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome to Lead to Soar, the podcast for ambitious career women. Over here at A Career That Soars, we're all about supporting you, ambitious career woman, to reach your highest goals. So check us out. You can find out more about the a Career That Soars Network by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. As you've probably already seen, we've got an interview lined up for today's episode. We are joined by Peta Sitchef. Peta is an author and consultant based in Melbourne, Australia. As a consultant, she works with clients who can benefit most from her sales leadership. PETA supports organizations to discover opportunity in uncharted waters and sales professionals to be courageous. She is a fierce advocate for professional practices that are sustainable and minimize burnout. PETA's passion projects are mentoring women through career change and unlocking workplace conversations through her story on burnout and navigating a male-dominated customer environment. Peta is a mother and a passionate advocate for mental health and well-being in the workplace. All right, I want to point out, if you're a first-time listener, that this conversation was actually recorded as one of our events inside A Career That Soars. It's an example of the type of event that we would host and give access to our premium members live, and then they would have access to the video recording and everything. So, of course, today's version is uh, produced, so it's an edited version of that conversation. So I hope you enjoy it, and if you do, I hope you'll consider giving us a try and 
giving some serious thought to joining the premium membership of a career that soars so you can access these types of events and coaching with tips and advice live and in the moment and also recorded and at your fingertips. Let's take a listen to Michelle Redburn and Peta Sitchak. Welcome to a career Q&A in a career that soars. And for those of you who may not know me, I'm one of your hosts, Michelle Redfern, and it's my delight to host career Q&A every month in the Emerging Leaders community. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we work, learn and meet today. And for me, it's the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people uh, of the East Kulin Nation, the Boon and Wurundjeri people. Uh, I pay my respects to elders past and present and recognise and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples and their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. I acknowledge any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who are listening in today. Uh, I see you, I hear you, uh, and I respect you. I'd also like to pay my respects to and welcome people from other cultures, communities and geographies that join us today or join us as part of the uh, catch-up call. Okay, so what's career Q&A all about? Well, essentially it started off as I was really curious about someone who had a great career, had done a bit of a, you know, the P word, pivot, and I said, well, I reckon we should have a chat in a career that soars and let's record it and do something with it. Well, that was almost a year ago and uh, every month I've been interviewing other really interesting women and asking them, peppering them with questions about their career, their career that soars. So today I'm very, very uh, fortunate to have my friend and colleague and collaborator, uh, Peter Sichev with me. And Peter is, um, well, as for those of you who've joined live and, and those who you're catching up later, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things that Peter has experienced, including the fact that she is now an author, which I'm very, uh, well, I stand in great admiration for. Now, Peter, I'm not going to do the, the formal um, introduction other than, hey, it's great to have you here. And we've been talking about doing this for a little while, but why don't you tell our listeners live and, and catch up who you are, what it is you do, and, and all about your career that has soared and continues to soar. Over to you. Thanks, Michelle. Um, thanks for inviting me to be on here today. And hi to everyone who's joined us live. Yes, look, it's it's certainly been it's certainly been a journey. I join you here today from Melbourne, and my career, um, whether I like it or not, my career has very much been in sales and sales leadership. It's in my DNA, and I learnt pretty quickly that. Uh, rather than than try to to avoid it because it does have its challenges i may as well embrace it and uh, acknowledge that it is who i am and try to be the best version of that that i can be as well so most of my career and my professional experience has been in sales and sales leadership um, i started out in my sales career i have a science degree and then realizing that it wasn't really for me or what I wanted to do professionally thought, okay, I'm much more commercially minded. My sales career started out in the pharmaceutical industry and the first job that I had was going and speaking um, on a territory of all male GPs to erectile dysfunction as I helped assist launching Viagra 
for Pfizer. So that was my, my, the start of my sales career and certainly taught me many lessons. Um, from there, I then moved into the medical device industry, which as I'm now out of the industry, I realize it's quite unknown to the rest of the corporate world, the medical device industry. It's a really interesting and vital part of that makes up the healthcare industry. Many people are walking around with artificial hips and knees and screws and nuts and bolts in their bodies, and that's the sort of stuff we used to sell. Um, so for 13 years, I, I worked a really interesting and relentless job that I absolutely loved within that industry, and that was looking after about 20 of Melbourne's neurosurgeons and their spinal prosthesis needs. So that the nuts and bolts that they would use in operations and put into people or patients' spines, if you will. So it was really interesting, but it was relentless. So as you can imagine, surgeons and patients don't present nine to five. And um, I was essentially for about 13 years on call 24-7 to um, this group of neurosurgeons who were pretty much exclusively male. There was one female, but I worked, didn't really work with her that much. And, you know, on top of providing the spinal prosthesis for the operations that they had to do, so if they had an operation, just to give you some context, if they had a patient present with a spinal trauma and that patient required screws to fix that trauma or that fracture in their spine, we would get a phone call and we would troubleshoot and, and problem solve that case over the phone with the surgeon and we would have all of the equipment ready that they would need to do that operation, sterile and in their operating room when that operation started and we would be there as well, almost like the walking, talking instruction manual. So it was a very, it was a very interesting job. It was a, an education in life is the way that I put it upon reflection because there was so much that you had to learn about yourself to survive in that environment it was really unique so look I absolutely love the role it had a really strong educational component to it as well because the way that those surgeons learnt about new technologies and new surgical techniques was in fact through us as industry so I set up centres of excellence overseas in the states and then uh, travelled with my surgeons, my male surgeons, over to the States and trained them up in new techniques and then brought them back here and we integrated that new equipment into their operating room with their teams. So that was super interesting. But um, you might be, hopefully you're, you're getting the picture that I'm painting here in that it was a, a really exhausting role in the end and um, certainly a role where I had a very, very high volume business and I didn't have enough support that I needed on the ground and I experienced what was an episode of acute burnout and um, that's what I talk about in the book that I spent last year writing which I've called um, my beautiful mess because it was a mess <laughs> it was a real mess but um, it was also very beautiful in that um, the lessons it taught me you know I chose to really embrace it as a learning experience upon reflection and the lessons it taught me have just totally set up the way that I've directed my life today and, and helped me set my life up today and sort of find my professional ambition again. And, um, and certainly in parallel with all of that, I'm a single mum to a, a 14 and a half year old son and, and our relationship is a lot better. In the end, it was a choice of family over a lucrative corporate career. Mm. So that's a, a 
bit of a background, a snapshot, but hopefully that gives everyone a little bit of context um, in terms of what, what life was like and, um, and certainly in what I'll be discussing over the course of the next hour with you, Michelle. Thanks, Peter. And the, the things that, that we are going to discuss, are, and, and you've touched on those already, are um, the, the things that I hear so often from our members and, and from other women um, in my network is, how do I navigate male-dominated work environments, workplaces? And, and, it, and it's not always around toxicity, but just the general dynamics when I'm the the only or the other. So I think that's a, we, I know I want to talk to you about that. Mm. How the, the notion, and, and I, I call bullshit on it, but the notion of having it all and the, that relentless pressure to have it all. And then of course, how to recognize burnout. What is it? How to recognize it? And importantly, what to do about it if you are recognizing it in yourself and in others. So that's what we're going to explore. First of all, though, I, I want to run you through or, or take you through and we'll get your thoughts on on our, our focus on leadership. So leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others. And part of that and that achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes, which you were clearly nailing in your in your career uh you which you've talked about now we we can talk about the whys and the payoffs and all that but you were you were nailing those outcomes you got extraordinary sales results you contributed to the organization's growth and strategic uh meeting its strategic goals if you think back to pre-burnout at the beginning of your career or any time during during your career you think about what the best career advice is that you've received and why was it so good? Yeah, look, I, this wasn't a difficult one for me. I, I, I use this a lot. I say this a lot with my coaching clients and some of the best advice I think I've ever received and keeping in mind for everybody here that my, my role has always been in commercial growth and sales and sales leadership, but it is that you represent yourself first. So before you represent you know, your product or you represent your company, you represent yourself first. And I think it's really important to take the time to understand what it is you stand for in your own personal and professional world. And for me, that really hit home after I left, you know, so after 13 and a half years, you know, working with, with one organisation, I, it was a, it was a really challenging I don't want to say breakup, but it is a little bit like a breakup of a relationship. You know, you go through a grieving process, particularly when you've worked so closely with customers for such a long period of time. I was closer, much closer with my customers than I was with a lot of my colleagues because that's where all of my time was spent. And what really hit me afterwards was, upon reflection, was just the messages I received from customers, colleagues or competitor colleagues alike on the difference I made during the time I was working with them. And, you know, it, it becomes, it's your legacy, essentially. And as I had closed that professional chapter and all of this information came to light, it really made me understand, you know, I'm not the author of that anymore. And I'm very fortunate that the way I led myself during that chapter left a really positive and powerful legacy within the marketplace. And, you know, that I still hear about today, which is, you know, more than I ever could have hoped for. But it really made me think about, you know, 
rather than leave our legacy behind, how important it is to lead with our legacy forward. So if we were to be more intentional about establishing that ourselves at the beginning of a professional chapter, and one of the things I try to do now is really think about, you know, if I represent myself, you know, the impact I make on others and, you know, what are the behaviours and the way that I communicate that or through the way I communicate and through my behaviours, what do I need to do to reflect that legacy or that reputation, if you like? And it was just, I was given the advice long, long ago that you represent yourself first and it has always stayed with me in everything that I do. It's like it's like my compass, you know, and if a, a situation becomes challenging or becomes difficult to really think about, well, hang on, you know, what is it I represent? So how do I manage this based on that? And it constantly keeps you connected with yourself and with your values. And I think that that's absolutely critical, particularly working when you're in an working in an environment where they are challenged quite frequently. Yeah, the, the what I really resonate with there, Peter, is that uh, the, the legacy piece. And when I also talk to women about, you know, what does it take to be a CEO or, you know, wherever your, your destination is from a, a career perspective, but thinking like a CEO means that you are thinking about your, your own legacy, what legacy are you leaving, but you're saying lead with it. But what I really appreciated from what you just said, including reflecting on my own customer facing roles that I've had in, in my career is those relationships that you form with customers which, and, and every good CEO pays attention to four key things, cash, growth, return, and customer. And mm -hmm. if you fail to pay attention, because you can be have the greatest processes, the greatest strategy, ostensibly the greatest culture, but if we fail to pay attention to our customers and those relationships, there's no way that the organisation can grow. And, and you yourself are, are not contributing. And I think this is where we can use our personal greatness to achieve and sustain the outcomes. And for you, those relationships with your customers and, and, and including it being difficult to leave them behind when you left the industry behind is, is part of that legacy, right? It's, it's part of saying, you know, I always say there's, there's three things that have got to happen for a sale or a, a relationship to, to build, thrive and, and flourish uh, and sustain, I should say. It's um, they've got to know you, they've got to trust you and they've got to respect you. I used to say like, but it's actually trust. And... For you, that's you're leading with that, aren't you? You're really building that. And I guess particularly in the industry that you were in, they needed to really know who Peter is, what she stands for, what it is you bring and the outcomes that you create for them. So a, a top bit of advice. Yeah. Did you pay t enough attention yeah. to it early on though? Yeah, do you know I did? And it's, um, but I didn't realise I was doing it, Michelle. <laughs> I, it was just me and particularly when it, it's a highly competitive environment, the medical device industry. It's expanded a lot more now compared to what it was certainly 15 years ago. It was still equally incredibly competitive. And, you know, you might as a salesperson want to go after the big ticket items, which, you know, are big. I don't want to get too involved in um, in the technical aspect of it here because people may not understand that quite easy. But, you know, there's the complex operations, which are the big returns on investment, and there's the smaller operations, which are the smaller returns on investment. And I think you've got to, two things here is you're right, you've got to prove yourself out. 
So again, coming back to, um, you know, what is it you stand for? How is that reflected in your behaviours, the way you communicate on a daily basis? You've got to focus on building trust. And in the environment that I worked in, the stakes could be incredibly high at times. We worked in some really dicey and traumatic situations and literally there are patients' lives at stake in front of you. So you absolutely have to know your place. So trust is key. You know, a product can be like for like, but it's a lot more than a product that a surgeon was inviting into their operating suite. They were inviting you to be a member of their team and to really understand that risk is at the heart and soul of what they do every day. So you can't be a risk when you're invited into that room. So they need to have that confidence in you. And the best way I found to prove that out early on was to start with the really the small cases that didn't return a lot from a dollar perspective, but they returned an enormous amount from a loyalty perspective and the uh, the investment I was making in proving myself out, it paid back down the track. People really understood what I, who I was I, and got to know me and I got to know them. And as a result, you know, you, you prove out the small stuff with your customers where there's not an enormous amount of risk, then when they have to make a decision where there is a lot more risk, then you become somebody that is is a real player and someone that's that is considered in those situations. And that's eventually what happened. And that's when you make that transition from, you know, from sort of beginner, if you like, or having your P plates on into a to an open licensed salesperson within that business. You know, it's it's such a it is an important part and, uh, you know, I, I guess there's um, – I, I was thinking of a couple of throwaway lines that we often use in business. You know, it's not life and death. Well, actually, it was for you because if, you know, you got it wrong yeah. and got it, wrong, it kind of was. It actually that. really was. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, playing that long game and saying, you know, I'm, I'm actually in this for the long haul. I'm creating a long, um, sustainable relationship. So you've got to focus on oh, – I hate this term. I've got to find a better one. But, you know, win the war, not the battle, you know. Sometimes we, we you, you can, yeah. that, that concession or that, as you said, here's something I can do to prove out who I am. You're listening to Lead to Soar, a production of A Career That Soars. A Career That Soars, or ACTS, is an organization, a networking platform, and a place for career women to learn and connect. Our founder, Susan Colantuno, envisioned a group that would embrace women from all backgrounds and support one another towards achieving their highest career ambitions. Learn more about what you can get from ACTS by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. When you think about leadership though or a leader who's an extraordinary leader that you've reported to and what made them extraordinary and how did that impact you and your career you know one of the there's something that's always that always stuck with me with this particular individual and it was actually back in my pharmaceutical days in fact and as a leader back and, in those um, viagra days they, <laughs> oh god what a what a, a baptism of fire oh my days. god 
Oh my goodness! I tell you what, yeah. Um, Talk about feeling like other in a room. In every, every way, every way known to man, and that's another conversation. But uh, yeah, has certainly sorted me out pretty quickly. Sorry, I, had, I was just thinking. <laughs> oh my god, I just had a, I had a mental image, but yeah. anyway, and it was not a good one. But anyhow, <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'll move yes. on. Um, but look, this particular leader headed up the organization at the time and they came along with me they were riding with me for the day which they often did they had a day in the field to to really you know get into the trenches and to know what the customers were saying and what was going on and this individual said to me before we got out of the car look you know when you in- introduce me please introduce me as your colleague and I said okay I was going to introduce you as our managing director no no I would like you to introduce me as our colleague we're all equal and I've never forgotten that and I use that to this day when I'm working, you know, with collaborating with people myself or I'm mentoring people or, or shadow, whatever it might be, and my colleague, let's keep us all equal. And I just think that that's, it was really interesting advice. And I think that the reason why I like it is it's amazing the change in dynamics in an appointment when people think that, you know, importance is different from one person to the next. So that person... If you put everybody on an equal playing field... It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's quite... So it's really... Yeah, it's an interesting one. A lot of... A lot of so that person... It is. It says, you know, yes, I've got to make some decisions that are different to yours because of my role, but we're mm. colleagues and there's... Yeah, I, that, that, that certainly appeals to me. And I wonder how... I wonder how that person became to be like that. Why do you th- do you mm. have any insight? Because I'm curious about why they did that, or what might have been was it inherent, or did they have a catalyst? Do you know? I don't know, and I never asked at the time. In fact, I could probably go back and ask now. But um, I think uh, they kept it real, yeah. and I think known as just keeping it real, and really wanted to know the people, and I think wanted to be perceived like anybody else and I certainly found that as a very young green salesperson to the industry it made me a lot more comfortable as well and maybe that was some of the motivation behind it I'm not sure but I think you know often you know as leaders and and or senior leaders or directors or you know within our organizations you you forget how intimidating you can be to the younger people who you know just start whether they're graduates or you know, new employees and they just start and, and you also, I think, can forget just how much it is that they look up to you. You don't realise how how much under that their watchful eye you really are. Mm. You know, it's a little bit like a parent and a child. Children pick up everything and I don't think it's any different. So, look, that was just, that was just something that has always, always sat with me and I've never forgotten um, in terms of specific leadership advice. There's, um, and I, I like the fact that there's, that, that what you said about we forget, um, sometimes we can, we, without paying attention to it, we can forget how intimidating or, yeah, how intimidating we can be as we become more advanced in our careers, in life, mm. uh, in general. And, and certainly I was, I was speaking to someone last week, uh, woman I interviewed for the Lead to Soar podcast and she said, you know, one of her biggest challenges as the COO of a FTSE listed company is getting people to tell her what she needs to hear rather than what she mm-hmm. they think she wants to hear. 
and she's so cognizant yeah. of the fact that, and in the tech industry as well, and, you know, she's a commander of the British Empire, so she, she's got a war. She's a, she's a very, very credentialed woman, awesomely down to earth. But she said, Michelle, this is one of the biggest challenges. I want to know how I can stay in touch with particularly younger people in the, and younger women in the tech sector without them being overawed. I'm just me, you know. And so I think your, your example is a good one. How can, as leaders, or how might we pay attention to that shadow we cast and say, well, actually... Let me do have a couple of techniques up my sleeve so that someone like Peter in, in her early days mm. or someone who's an up-and-comer can feel comfortable to pitch to stakeholders or customers or whatever it may be, even though I'm in the room. It's a great, a great leadership mm. lesson. Yeah, it really is. And I, I do, you know, my own leadership philosophy is to, to, to be generous in time and spirit with anybody who I do lead or who I mentor. Um, I think I've certainly learned, you know, when you're, when you've been in an industry for 20 plus years, I think many people can attest to the fact that you never know where anyone is going to end up. Oh, absolutely. You really don't. <laughs> and I think to, um, to really, it's a privilege to, to have people, you know, under your mentorship or under your tutelage for the period of time that you do. And I think to make them be the best version of themselves during that time is incredibly important. And it's a privilege. It's not a right. So it's just constantly trying to help them be the best version that they can be. Certainly something that leadership means to me. I like, so generosity is, is one of my guiding words for this year and uh, generosity and reciprocity. But I'm, I'm having a little giggle thinking about, well, there's a, this old saying that uh, be careful of the toes that you tread on today because they'll be connected to the feet that kick you in the bum on the way back down, you know. Um, so, you know, as you're going up, just don't burn any bridges or... If you're going to burn a bridge, you got to napalm that 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 bloody thing. So, but yeah, absolutely, yeah. yep, totally. And again, going back to our <laughs> our leadership philosophy, our leadership definition in in a career that soars, it's engaging the greatness in others. That doesn't mean winning popularity contests. It means how do I how do I really tap into the hearts, the minds, and the efforts of people, even when perhaps we might be on opposing sides. Of a, of a debate, of a table, of a whatever it may be. How can I look for that greatness, really seek it out um, in, in people? So yeah. that generosity of spirit really Absolutely. very much aligns with that. Mm. Let's get on to the, the nitty-gritty stuff. I've had, I've been reading your book. In fact, I keep going back to it and reading bits, but you've, you ask a It's a bit like yeah, that. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's like, uh, a couple of other books that I've read, it is a little bit like holding up the mirror too, Peter. So, um, okay. So in your yes. book, in that very book, My Beautiful Mess, there's a, a passage or a, a question that you asked yourself, which is probably going to resonate for a, a number of people because my goodness, it did for me. Page 25, how on earth am I going to do this for another year? So at that point in your career, you are, outwardly at least, wildly successful. Now, I do use that term carefully because I, I am so awake up to and alive to the Instagram world and, um, you know, oh, my God, look at those people's fabulous lives and she's so successful and this, that and the other, blah, 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 blah. And you go, you got no idea. You got no idea what's really going on. So at that point, you are outwardly wildly successful what was actually going on for you and why 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that. You know, there's a number of people who've read the book and readers who've reached out to say, I would have had no idea. <laughs> or, gee, you're, you're a good actress. And I was like, wow, okay. It's all about um, game face, isn't it? You know, showtime. It sure showtime. is. You know, it's that always check in on the friend that looks like they've got, uh, they've got it all together because what you see is certainly not always what goes on behind closed doors. I, I just, that's on my fridge as a quote. <laughs> um, but look, it was really interesting. So for those, you know, within within business and, and particularly within sales, um, if you work a calendar year, you'll know that there is a point. There's this beautiful part of the year between when you hit your number and then when everything resets to zero. And it's this, you know, beautiful, it might be a couple of days, it might be a few weeks. If you're really lucky, then it might be a couple of months. And it's this amazing feeling of freedom. And then all of a sudden on we, um, the organization I worked for, worked with on the calendar year for sales, you get to December 31st and you think, oh, tomorrow it all goes back to zero. And it's really, um, you can be proud of what you've achieved, but the thought of having to climb that mountain again for another year, when you know how much effort went into, into achieving what you did the year before, if you were successful the year before, I hit a point where I just thought, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. We have an annual holiday, our family up at Noosa, and I was up at Noosa sort of lying in bed in that morning of January the 1st thinking, I don't know if I can be on a holiday physically, but my three quarters of my mind being in Melbourne on the job because I'm not sure that you know they're not going to need that support or I need to have one eye on the business at all times and you know being distracted in front of my son all the time when I'm on holidays and I should be mentally present as well as physically present but in if I put my hand up I could honestly say that I wasn't it just it was it was hard it was just this and it was a point where I look back now and I think that was really the brink of it being hard and it, um, when you dropped off that ledge to all of a sudden starting to resent the work. And I think if I had my time over, I probably would have finished about six months before I did. I handed my resignation in the end because I really felt as though what I was feeling then was, it was like a cheese grater against my, my, my values. You know, my, uh, although I didn't realize it, my heart just wasn't in what I was doing anymore. I wasn't feeling fulfilled with what I was doing anymore. It was becoming tedious. It was, I was stagnant. I hadn't been growing personally for a long time from a, a, a learning perspective. And I just was feeling as though I needed to have more time at home and I wasn't able to do that because of the demands of the role and the volume of work that I had to manage. It was just too difficult. And I think particularly being a, a single parent, you know, I was married, I wasn't at home much and my marriage um, certainly didn't survive. And being a single parent and having to, you know, juggle a, a child on weekends to friends' places because a surgeon needs you in an operating room urgently or in the middle of the night or whatever it might be, I didn't really feel like I had a choice because I had created this lifestyle, let's call it a 
nice house with a big mortgage, <laughs> that I thought I, I need to keep this afloat. I have no idea how I'm going to earn this sort of money ever again. The income was very handsome and it was really a bit, it was like the golden handcuffs, mm. which I talk about in the book. It was, I don't know what to do. I need the income, but this job is feeling too hard. I don't know if I've got the emotional, physical or mental energy to keep doing this. And there's this niggle in me that's saying, you need to spend more time with your son. He needs you at home. You need to work this out or this isn't right for you any longer. But of course, not feeling like I had any choice, what did I do is I put my foot to the floor even harder <laughs> on the accelerator. And um, that didn't turn out to be the best decision that I'd ever made. So, you know, what else was going on? It was a real internal conflict, I think, that was going on. And it had been for some time a period of tedium leading to stagnation and then to really almost starting to feel quite resentful. And I think, you know, that is, and we'll get to it a bit later, Michelle, is a warning sign for me with burnout when something starts to not become so fulfilling, it's time to check in. Yeah, the the values misalignment piece, you know, a cheese grater on your on your values. I'm I just, you know, again I've got this kind of visceral reaction to it because yeah, so visually <laughs> you can go, oh yikes. However, I certainly know from other many other conversations I've had and, and advice I've given that on paper we can have what appears to be the perfect insert whatever it is, job, marriage, lifestyle, blah, 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 blah. From a from a work perspective though, I have certainly found myself in situations where on paper, this is this is it, right? Living the dream, right? Great job, mm. great money great clients. Why am I not happy? What's going on? And mm. you've, you've nailed it. It's a values misalignment. Those, mm. those things that can perhaps, um, there might be a tiny little, you know, you know, grain of sand in your shoe at the start of the engagement, but by the end, they're going to be a bloody big boulder and they're, and they're making you limp. How does it happen though? What do we, what do we do to recognize that earlier and you know given the opportunity get out or make a change i think we need to understand that we're we're all growing beings i fundamentally neglected and didn't understand that i put my hand up and i say that i i had my entire trust in the organization that i worked for i think i was quite naive in that I didn't really appreciate that my success in some ways held me back because I was the because I was the gatekeeper to some very significant relations relationships for the organization not only nationally but globally that it they didn't want me to move on yeah. right. <laughs> you know it was well hang on a second you know the person that's trusted here is you and they didn't want me to move on so I almost felt like I was in a cage and I say this in the book I was sort of wired caged in and wired by other people's perceptions you know I was the spine girl and I had an enormous business and it just it had links all over the world and it really, yeah, as much as I wanted to, to, I turned to them for help, I think I was naive in thinking they were going to help me a lot more than what they did. 
so yeah it's it's really interesting and that that values piece I think a part of me just thought well you have a you have a job I have never really educated myself or really intentionally gone out in the world with a looking for a career path or putting myself on a career path I've just always accidentally landed into jobs and happened to really enjoy what I was doing and it just happened and um but I didn't what I didn't allow for was the fact that you know I a core need of our advancing brain is we need to learn and yes I was learning about the job but within myself I was not learning or growing within myself at all and there comes a time I think when you're not doing that you know I I really intentionally now tap into the four core needs of the advancing brain which are you know giving connecting learning and a sense of purpose and I'm now very intentional to the point where I've got large post-it notes up on the walls in my house (laughs) with what those things are for me and just keep checking in with them on a constant basis and make sure I'm investing in all of those aspects of my life on a daily basis just to keep my brain functioning and to keep myself mentally fit and mentally healthy I just totally neglected that so and I think that realization I guess to answer your question sorry it was a a long bit of a tangent there but I think you know where we go wrong is is we forget that and we forget that we're all continual works in progress we're never, you know, I, I feel very strongly about this now with people who I, I lead and I've got a, a wonderful client who um, there's a, particular, a team of theirs that have a dotted line into me, albeit I consult for them, all in the business development space. And, you know, I say to the leaders quite frequently that, you know, we, we don't have these individuals forever. Let's help them be the best version that they can. We're very lucky that we've got them for the period of time that they choose to be with us, but they're going to keep moving, you know, and plus, I mean, they're all, many of them are 20 years younger than what I am and they are on a constant trajectory of growth and that's where they want to be and that's a priority for them. For me, it just never was. And I think that's really important as a leader to help people within our team to support them to be the best version of themselves that they can be and understanding um, that, to prevent them from yeah. hitting that point and, and understanding that people are as you've said we've got so many dimensions to us Susan talks about in in her book no selling no walls uh, which premium members can download um, for free about the job nun and the job nun is she is married to her work and and it's it's actually quite a confronting passage to read for someone that I am, was, and and could still potentially be a job nun. Now, job nuns are singular and one-dimensional and and ultimately, and this is one of the lines in the book, pretty bloody boring. And Mm. it also becomes, in in terms of the, the part you articulated, it becomes a career derailer. Number one, because you are so damn good at your job, well, you're not going anywhere and we can't find anyone else who's going to work. The, the ridiculous hours that you're working and the effort and blah, 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 blah. Um, so great, we'll leave Peter where she is. So there's no movement because you, it's too much of a risk to move you and you're happy, right? Ah! But then the other side of this also not very interesting. What's her worldview? How is she expanding her horizons? Mm. How are you bringing other dimensions and also living that very 
full and fulfilling life across a number of different dimensions. You know, they're, they're one of the examples, you know, Indira Naidu, ex-CEO of PepsiCo, has always had external interest to her role. Now, arguably one of the biggest CEO roles ever that, that she held down successfully for a long, long time, but she always did other stuff and was very, very committed to doing other stuff that was outside of her role. So I think that's, that's part of it. So for, for those of you who are listening in, do pay attention to the, the job none piece in, and it's in No Selling, No Walls around uh, leading from personal greatness. And the other part of what you said was be connected to your personal purpose and, and figure that out. And, you know, personal purpose does, I think it, well, I know from my own perspective, it changes over time. And but paying attention to it and saying, is that where, am I Am I living a life well lived in the stuff that I f- occupy my 24 hours a day with? And for you, that was clearly a, you, you reached that crossroads and went, hmm, something's got to give, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because there was such a, there's such a focus on the organisation's purpose. I think it's important to differentiate between the two. Mm. You know, the organisation's purpose is the organisation's purpose, but your own purpose is independent of that. And just one other quick thing I wanted to mention, Michelle, when you were talking before about, you know, it's fine to have a great income and you get the the accolades and the rewards and the recognition and, you know, all that stuff that, that filters through, but it doesn't necessarily make you happy. And I think that I certainly found that, upon reflection and leaving the organisation, one of the things or the, the quotes I have in the book is that, you know, your your legacy refers to your values, not your valuables, because, you know, really six months after leaving a job and you're looking at maybe a trophy that you've won or, or something that you've had and then you're looking at the comments or the feedback that you had from customers, I tell you the one that means the most. Mm. It's the, the feedback Absolutely. from the customers, you know, where the real soul is. Absolutely. So it's um it's really important. It's, that is food for our soul, mm. you know, which is incredibly important. I a very quick anecdote. I have a I have a cards or a reflective exercise that I do. I, in fact I do it online as well. But one of the questions in it, it's random random cards for typically women to answer. And one of the questions is name three things that make you happy. Now, the amount of women I have worked with that can't answer that question or get very, very upset about the thought of that or answering that question is alarming to me. And now the reason that question is in there is because I got asked it by my doctor when I was 40, having effectively burnout as well and having a pretty major Mm. crisis. And I was extraordinarily upset and that, like you, that set me on the path to growing, learning exactly like you had not paid attention to the things outside of my, outside of the role that I was occupying and had no idea what made me happy, no idea what my real true values were or purpose was. And it was very, very confronting. But as you said, you do the work and suddenly you're living a, a different kind of life. Do you want to get shit done for your career? Well, I suggest that you join the Get Shit Done experience in a career that soars. 
The GSD experience is for women who want to take time out of their full lives to reconnect with themselves, their ambition, they want to kickstart their what's next career plan, plus connect and expand their network of driven and ambitious women. Put simply, the GSD experience is for women who are ambitious and driven. Women who want an accountability partner to give them a kick in the butt when needed. Women who want to supercharge their motivation and confidence. And women who want to either define or make their next big move. Join us over at A Career That Soars for the Get Shit Done experience. explore because we are going to run out of time as always but before we talk more about burnout and recognizing the signs I want to talk about male-dominated workplaces now you are like many of our members you have navigated hyper-masculine workplaces surgeons uh, operating theaters that the medical device industry even the sales industry you know to be grossly general but I know that some of those cultures aren't overly helpful to women. Some of us navigate them better than others, arguably. Um, what did you do to, how did you wrangle those hyper-masculine cultures? How did you navigate it successfully? Notwithstanding all the stuff we've already talked about, but how did you navigate those <laughs> hyper-masculine environments? And what would your advice be to the women who are listening to say, wow, I'm often the only or one of the few women this is, is this kind of dynamic, gender dynamic that I want to get better at navigating. What did you do? Yeah, sure. Look, I think particularly when you're faced with all male customers, you you have no choice. You have to find a way. And again, I'm going to come back to what I said at the very beginning of our recording, Michelle, is you, you need to understand, for me, understanding what I stood for was really, really important. And having boundaries in place to protect that. And every time I respected those boundaries, I was reminding myself and reconnecting myself with those values. It's just so important. It's almost like, you know, when you establish that up front, you can then come up with a personalised terms and conditions for the way it is that you're going to work. So, you know, for example, it might be, Let's take something simple and quite obvious. Um, you know, I did not cross um, professional and personal boundaries. So that was a really big one for me. Another one, which is really easy, which can be a little bit challenge, can be challenging at times, would be you've started a new job and a customer decides to send you a friend request on Facebook, which isn't a professional platform not in that within the industry context that that is. How do you manage that? By setting myself terms and conditions for how I manage all of those situations up front, it then became very, very easy to to know how to navigate situations moving forward. And, you know, that's that's probably goes down a, a particular path, but it's also a, a realistic path um, that I think many women are confronted with. So, I mean, look, that, that would certainly be one of them, your own personal terms and conditions based on your values, and then that helps cre- to create your boundaries, if you like. I would also say I think one of the ones I was very challenged with early on was, you know, I think 
you know, a young, naive green salesperson coming in to speak with a neurosurgeon was a little bit of fun for some of them. The expectation is that you're not going to be able to, you're not going to hack it. Yeah. I, I used to get that quite a bit. So, you know, my advice would be lean into the, expect the difficult conversations and lean into the difficult conversations respectfully and practice it so you're not surprised. I think it's incredibly important to practice situations, particularly in a sales context where you're going to be challenged. I'd have a number of customers who I would go to see who would, they weren't really interested in what I had to say. They just wanted to challenge me to see how I would react. And knowing how I was going to manage that was important. And I actually found that I didn't do it early on and I talk, there's examples in the book where I was certainly, you know, challenged in the operating room and I talk about when I didn't manage that situation particularly well and then I talk about how it happened again 12 months or six months or 12 months later, I can't remember the exact time frame, and then how I managed it differently and how proud I was when I did that. So you can, and you know, you're not I think, going to get it right first time and it is about saying, all right. Of course you're not. Right no. Another crack and another crack. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that's, it's really important. And what I found was by leaning into the conversations that I wasn't expected to lean into, and when I say leaning in, I mean approaching it with a non-judgmental sense of curiosity, if you like, it not only built my own courage, it actually, I actually gained respect from the men I was working with. So, you know, it was, no, I wasn't just going to run the other way. I wasn't going to shy away from this. Mm. I want to know more. Yep. Tell me more. And that then brings me into my next point of really trying to understand the person behind the job title Yeah, is incredibly important. I think a lot of us, myself included, are incredibly intimidated um, or can be incredibly intimidated in the environment of an operating room, a surgeon can certainly be very intimidating, not only to medical device staff, but also the other staff that are in the room who are equally as important and have huge, the patients and have huge, huge roles to yeah. play. But even like surgical nurses, for example, a number of surgical nurses have reached out to me just saying, you've unlocked some really important conversations for us mm. and thank you. It's been a starting point for them to have conversations within their teams and their own organisations. But, you know, the consequence of being intimidated by a particular personality is that you don't speak up when something goes wrong. And in an operating room, when something goes wrong, it can be quite catastrophic. <laughs> and um, I, I speak about a number of examples like that within the book. And I think that it's really, it's really important to try to understand the human to unpack the layers or unpeel the onion, the layers of the onion I talk about in the book. And, yep, it might hurt and you might cry a bit and it might be a bit painful, but when you get to the heart and soul, middle of that onion, you realise they're just people like you and I underneath it all. And sometimes what I've found is there's an enormous appreciation for having the tolerance to get to that core piece. Yep. And to then really make that strong connection and understand somebody and geez, you become a trusted partner if you've got the patience and tolerance to last the process. 
think that's um, it, it is very good advice. So number one, um, set your boundaries, which are based on your personal T's and C's. So, um, and, you know, really, you've got to know yourself. What am I prepared to put up with or not? And, and set those yeah. boundaries and stick to them. Then lean into those difficult conversations and practice them, whether it's a confronting conversation, a courageous one, or just a, a sales pitch, whatever it may be. But, you know, nothing takes the place of practice. There's no shortcut. And the third one, which we talked about earlier, was, you know, understand the person behind the job title. We are, as senior people, intimidating, but we are people. So I really... I would have appreciated a lot of a lot of people who reported to me from time to time saying, "What is it that you need from me, Michelle?" Not me telling them, but you know. And I think for mm. you, that advice of or for and for for those listening, saying, "Who you know? What is it about the boss or that stakeholder or whatever? Who are they? What makes them tick? What can I do to engage their greatness?" Because in a lot of mm. cases, and particularly for senior people, that has been done for a long, long time. So I think it's really Good, good advice. Three steps. All right, let's talk yep. about uh, burnout again. Two parts to this question. Firstly, how do we recognise it in ourselves? How do we recognise burnout and what do we do about it? That, that's the first one. And then the other one is, to your earlier point, you know, that cool, calm, collected, got it together person, how do we check in on her in our workplace? Because she may not have it be as cool, calm and collected as we thought. So recognising in ourselves, then recognising in others and what to do about it. Yeah, sure. It's, um, it's an interesting one. I think burnout is very, very sneaky. You don't necessarily realise it's happening. It's more than just stress. It's more than just exhaustion. I think for me, I, I read a, um, a quote once that burnout is an absence of love and an absence of love for your, your job, your life and yourself. And nothing could have resonated more strongly for me than that particular quote. For me, um, I think understanding your triggers are really important. Um, I know that sense of, of tedium or lack of fulfilment for me is, and I can just speak from my own perspective there here, is um, incredibly important and purpose often comes a lot from creating. I know I need to keep creating, whatever that might be. That, for me, is what releases the tedium. I know that if I'm feeling as though I'm, um, one of my other trigger points is that I, I start to withdraw, and you could relate this to people back in your own teams as well. So when people start to disappear or they're not attending meetings, they're, they're disengaged, um, mm. I, I definitely start to withdraw. I know I do that. And that's something I'm very, very mindful of now. And, you know, when you're, when you're really busy and you think that you've just, you've got to churn through the work and get through the work, you, you very easily lose connections with people around you. And you can just use that as an excuse. You need to understand the importance of making time for that, not only for the business, but for yourself. So the withdrawal was one, a neglect for responsibilities would be another warning sign. So a neglect for simple responsibilities like not handing in reports, mm. you know, having the bills pile up on the bench and you just don't want to open them. It's like, I just can't face that life admin right now. I've got too much going on. You know, they're really simple things, but I think they're things that everybody can relate to. And when they do go on for too long, we know that there's going to be consequences 
Is that for, for, for not your body, which I think our brains and our bodies are actually very clever. Are they just preserving mm. your whatever you've got left in the tank for the absolute minimum survival? Is that what it is, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. I really, I do believe that, you know, and it, um, that is exactly what we're doing. You know, we're surviving where there's so much stress hormone, I think, pumping around our body and I'm not going to pre- I'm not a doctor and I'm not a psychologist, but um, when you are in that survival state, and that brings me to my next point is, is I can feel particularly at home when I start really emotionally reacting to something as opposed to responding with consideration or I try to be very curious with things. And parenting is a great, is a great test. You know, I know of certainly just in my own home environment how tolerant I am and how I'm responding to situations in a, okay, Peter, you need to back off here. This is on you, not him. And I think that's really important. And I think that's something we can relate to within our teams too. I can look back now and I can think back to particularly the last three months I was in my role before I resigned in that I was really reacting emotionally to situations. I never would have done that in the past ever. I'd always been reasonably considered. And I think that that is a real trigger. So, you know, knowing now, you know, how do I recognise those signs now and what do I do about it or prevent it from happening again is, you know, I, I know that what those triggers are now um, and I'm very mindful of not jumping on a slippery slope and taking some time out and do the things that really fuel all of my energy sources, not just physically but mentally, emotionally and spiritually as well. You know, investing that time I think is really, really important. One of the other the tips that I thought I'd just offer to the group, which I find very helpful, is have an accountability partner. Sometimes we can't see it ourselves. And I think that when you know what your triggers are, if you've got someone around you who's close to you, you know, it might be um, a sibling. It's not always our parents, I don't think, but it might be a sibling, it might be a friend, it might be a colleague. Hey, if you notice something, can you give me a tap on the shoulder? Mm. And if I'm not listening, make me listen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what's, our, what's um, our code I think word? That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. No, I think it's, it's really important because I know for me um, in particular when I was, you know, really caught up on a, a treadmill that was just getting faster and faster and faster, number one, no one really wanted to slow me down and I didn't really feel like I could. Mm. I think that's really, really important and certainly from a leader's perspective, I think that, you know, there's a responsibility that we all have for our team members there, whether it's intentional or not. Absolutely. But an accountability partner from a personal sense, I think I've found is actually a really, a really great, a really great little tool. Awesome. Well, I, uh, as always, I could talk to you forever, um, but... <laughs> I know, I just looked at the time what, too. Um, I'm like, where did that go? I know, I know. So what uh, we, we've learned a lot about, you know, what you stand for and you know, having knowing what you stand for, knowing what legacy it is you bring, uh, not just want to leave, about getting in touch with your values, setting boundaries, don't be a job nun, how to lean into difficult conversations, understanding people, really seeking out the greatness in, in, in other people. But also recognising burnout is real and it is sneaky and it happens in a whole bunch of different ways. Thank you for downloading Lead to Soar. We so appreciate your support in the form of subscribing, rating and reviewing the Lead to Soar podcast. We especially appreciate when you share Lead to Soar with friends and colleagues. Lead to Soar is hosted and produced by Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher. 
to get in touch with either, visit michelleredfern.com and melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Until next time, stay focused and lead on.